one man has a chance to do the impossible. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is Mission Impossible. Welcome to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we have a guest. Hello, Spy Fi Guys. Hey, Jay. So Jay is from Zach's other podcast. Yes, our much less professional, but <laughs> equally as fun, Tuesday Night Gaming. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. Anything else you want to plug, Jay? Uh, oh, I'm okay with it. All right, so today we are covering the first Mission Impossible film, which I think I mentioned way back in our introductory episode is like the first spy movie I ever saw. Also the first PG-13 movie I ever saw. I was, I think, 11 at the time, so it definitely affected my life. <laughs> so was it Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was your first PG-13 movie? Oh. I think a lot of people's. That's a good Since point. It was well, the first at least one. The first one in theaters. Okay, okay that well, makes sense. Yeah. This one's way less traumatic. Is it nobody's though? Ha- nobody's hearts are getting ripped out of their uh, chests. I mean, but the emotional. Yeah, emotionally, yes. Was yes, exactly. Amazing. Well, before we get into the movie, yeah. I just wanted to know if we could talk about everybody's background with Mission Impossible I was as about a to franchise. Say, yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so we, we know my background with that, well, at least the beginning of it, and I've seen every other of the movies in theaters. I think I've seen most of them multiple times in theaters, so I'm a huge fan of the franchise. What about the TV series? I've seen, uh, let's see, maybe half of the first season and a few episodes of like the later seasons. But it's one of the things that I want to work through because I know that I know it's good, and what I, I liked what I see it. But you know, just, there's a lot of it, and there's the original, and then there's also the what is it? I think the '80s series, which is all set and filmed in Australia. Right, that makes. I guess I will go. Uh, I grew. I'm a little older, so I have been around when the show was still on air at times. Uh, so I did grow up watching the show for a while. Uh, so. And I thoroughly enjoyed them. I have watched most of the movies, except for I think the last one uh, in Ooh. the theater when they've released. Oh, but you've seen it? Just not I have theater? not seen the last one yet. <gasps> I, for some reason, I just did not it get around to it. Maybe on Prime right now. I, I believe it is. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So as soon as I was rewatching this, I was like, oh. One of these days, I will get back to it. I was actually thinking of maybe watching it tonight. Should <laughs> but do we'll it. see what happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's my background. I grew up with the show, uh, loving. I mean, this is what got me interested in all the bonds. In the, I mean, this started off my, like my affinity for spies and spy movies. All right. Okay, thanks, Jay. So I was aware of the show <laughs> and the first three movies. I heard they were not very good that's just what i heard that's what i heard so i had seen bits and pieces of them i saw the part where tom cruise is mountain climbing and then he takes off his sunglasses and throws them and then they blow up (laughs) Uh, and i also heard that they have masks so i never really thought much about it until ghost protocol came out and that was really good and mm -hmm. i was really impressed it didn't make me go back and watch the other three but I did watch the other two in theaters. Rogue Nation was kind of forgettable, but Fallout was really good. That's my opinion. I don't remember very much about Rogue Nation. 
Uh, well, when we get around to it, we'll cover it. Um, but I'm going to say here, there were two two movies that came out this year, that year, Spectre and Rogue Nation, and they basically have the same plot, but Rogue Nation did it better. But they also pretty much had the same plot as Captain America: The Winter Soldier. They were pretty similar. I mean, I think they were done okay, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely <laughs> Spectre was the weaker version. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And I say that as a huge Bond fan, and I really wanted to like Spectre, but yeah, Rogue Nation did most of the same plot and even some of the same locations better. Anyways, but let's get to the actual movie. So this is the f- the first Mission Impossible movie. Let's just jump in with the synopsis. An American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Actually, that's a pretty succinct, if you have no idea what's going on in this movie, that's actually a pretty good summary of what happens. So we start off in Kiev and we mm-hmm. have, you know, it looks like a hotel room. Jack, who is Emilio Estevez, who I like, I think he was the first person I recognized this movie. I was like, wait, what is what is Coach Bombay doing here? Exactly, Emilio exactly. I, I was caught off guard too. I was like, wait, what? How is he a spy? <laughs> I mean, it comes into play later on with mm-hmm. uh, later cast too. You're like, wait, why is this guy? in this spy movie, but then I guess it plays off the fact that you need people of different styles to exactly. play in different environments, right? Mm-hmm. And also yeah. different talents. So uh, it totally made sense later on, but at the initial kickoff of it was like, dude, get off. <laughs> <laughs> For the original show, it's very team-based. Everyone had a, a role and every mm. specialty. That's why you have all these different sort of characters. And so we have Jack, who's uh, Emilio Estevez. On the, he's the computer guy. He's watching them on the screen. I have a yeah. question. I was right. confused because I thought he was watching a movie while he was working on his computer. No, no, no. Because that was he like is... hokey dialogue, over the top <laughs> acting. Uh... Somebody's dead. This has got to be like it's in black and white. It's got to be a movie from like the 1940s. No, he's watching a surveillance screen. As it turns out, a surveillance screen that apparently can track and move like a Hollywood camera. Yep. <laughs> so we've got a guy with a mustache who's interrogating this other sort of heavier set sweaty guy who's like just in a wife beater. And there's this girl on the bed and there's all this blood around. And so the mustache guy is, you know, trying to get the name of the contact in Minsk. And the sweaty guy is like, I don't even know how I got back here. What happened? We were just drinking, having fun. So I don't know. And so the mustache guy's like, you know, just give me the name. We can help you out. And then meanwhile, uh, Jack is working on his computer and there's a woman dressed like the St. Pauli girl behind him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And so he gives him the name, Dimitri Mediv. Mediv. Hannah, who's another member of the team, is, yeah, dressed up in, uh, looks like a dernal or something, like a German dress, basically. Right. She's put with an eyedropper, put in some unknown liquid into whatever shots she's bringing out. So mustache guy and the sweaty guy are drinking, you know, take a shot. But you notice the mustache guy takes it up to his mouth and just tosses it, doesn't actually drink it. And the sweaty guy gets knocked out instantaneously. And this is where I, I just this I just love this. You know, once that happened, knock on the, on the wall, the walls come down. It's a sound stage basically. Well, they do it in later movies. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but it does happen. And then the Mustache guy pulls his own face off, and it's Tom Cruise, and it's young Tom Cruise. 1996 Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for his middle tooth in this movie. <laughs> I should go back and watch it again. 
Yeah, yeah. So, and then so he goes over to Claire, who was the woman who was in the bed with all blood all around her. She's not actually dead. She's just got, you know, fake blood and she's been under. So he wakes her up and you're trying to get her up, make sure, because apparently she'd been under too long. So he's waking, trying to wake her up. And then as soon as she wakes up, she says, did we get it? We got it. Cue the theme song. Bum, the great bum, theme song. Ba, da, da, ba, da. <laughs> it's never out of place. No, it's, uh, it's so good. Like, uh, and I love, so this is a thing that they did in the TV show. They have scenes from the upcoming episode, or in this case, movie, spread throughout the theme song with the with the fuse burning through and then ex- titles and then blow everything blows up and it's great it also reminded me of Battlestar galactica because they used to do that and everyone hated it because <laughs> they were like you have our money we're gonna watch the episode so why are you spoiling us it's not a sp- it's like a trailer for the episode <laughs> yeah, but for for Battlestar, it was worse like uh, they kind of would give away things oh yeah no. That was the big difference. Battlestar always gave like key shots that you're now anticipating for. So the whole time you're watching, you're looking for these key scenes. Whereas, Whereas in Mission this Impossible, case, yeah. they typically just gave random bits and pieces with no, and because they were always, they were independent of each other, right? Every movie mm-hmm. and every show was relatively independent. So you had no contextual information. So you didn't know when or how this would apply. Exactly. Which was the big difference. Also, I feel like it's a, it's very quick cutting. So, but they didn't keep you, doing it, right? Like they, in, in Ghost Protocol, they don't have. Oh, much, they do. do they? they do. Oh, they I do. don't remember well, it, that. Actually, Ghost Protocol, and you know, we'll get to it later, and I will go way in depth with it. But it's not even clips. They actually have the fuse going around actual scenes that they reshot just for the title sequence. So they have cool. different angles and everything else. So it's I, I really like of the six title sequences. I think you know this one in Ghost Protocol, some of the best. Two and three are the only ones that don't actually use scene. Yeah, I think it was a good evolution in their style and their cinematography of it all. Um, each movie builds upon different concepts, which is really nice to see the progression. So if you do start watching them through, you can see how they play with lighting, they how they play with the scene and the camera positioning. Um, and disguising like the mask ripoffs and like mm-hmm. how they completely slowly adjust where they're showing it so it comes off as a little more of a gotcha moment at time mm-hmm. yeah so this great sequence ends with a very i feel corny yeah. title where it says mission and there's like a stamp that comes in and says oh, impossible. I, <laughs> I mean I, i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying it's it's corny all right all right so after the credits we get to go to jim phelps on a plane now jim phelps was the second leader of the imf in the tv show he was the main character pretty much did they That's have a, any of the actors from the old TV show cameo? They in the all movie? declined. Really? And you'll find, and when we get to it, you'll you'll see why. Okay. <laughs> well, because so. that's very popular now is remaking movies and then having the old actors be in it. So like the mm-hmm. A-Team is an example. There are probably others. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, stewardess is coming by asking if you you know, would you like to watch a movie? So this is the days of tapes where they'd actually hand out tapes to like business class and first class. I've never been on a plane that actually did it, but I I think I took business class once and they had a screen that folded up like that. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Just because in my mind, that's what I thought of when they had the screen that folds up from below. So do they exist in 1996, the screens that fold up just oh, in yeah. business class? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I like the back and forth. You know, would you like to watch a movie? Mm, I prefer the theater. 
perhaps you'll choose one for me. And it's, it's, it's spy talk. And so with that part, do you think though? So I couldn't ever figure out when I watched it as way back when, was that meant to be the call signals? Like, was that supposed to be that? That's or is that just them being cheesy? Like we are spies. <laughs> or was that an actual given call? I think that's a given call usually. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he gets his mission on the tape, and again, just like the, in the show, it would be usually well, it'd usually be either cassette or a record, and it would come with photos. So it'd be like the man you're looking at is whoever. So they do that pretty much word for word in this. And the man you're looking at is Alexander Golitsyn, who's an attaché at their embassy in Prague, and he's stolen the Knocklist, which is the list of all of their agents, basically, and their code names, which. Seems like He's been a bad done thing in to so store, many movies. But this is the first. You're sure it's the first? I there looked, are a lot I've of looked, movies. I've looked okay. for like a list of code names, especially like especially computerized in that form. Like that, I feel like this is the first. I had a, actually I found a list of other films that and TV shows that use it. Obviously, Mission Impossible, Skyfall uses it. Atomic Blonde uses it. Even Spies in Disguise use it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't burn recall. Burn Notice it. and Hawaii Five O slash Magnum PI had their crossover. Those two, not Burn Notice as well, but Burn Notice used it, and then Hawaii Five O and Magnum PI had a crossover episode where it was they explicitly called it the Knock List. I'm like, wow, okay, guys. <laughs> what does Knock stand for? Non-official cover. So this is a real thing. I'll get into it in our Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction. Okay. But yeah, so their plan is they're going to follow Galitzin, find his buyer, apprehend both of them. And so the IMF has chosen a team for Jim. Usually he gets to choose, you know, who is his team, but this time they've chosen it for him. Jack, who covers surveillance, Hannah. I can't believe you wrote team. down what they all did. I was no, like, no, this is my head. Team. Okay. Let's see. Sarah is undercover at the embassy. His wife, Claire, handles transportation, and Ethan Hunt's appointment. So already I'm like, okay, wait a second. None of these people are in the later movies. <laughs> so <laughs> but the team, usually the, the team changes a lot, usually. Yeah, they're they're not usually set cells, right? They're usually ad hoc for whatever skill set is required at that time for that particular mission. Uh, they're all independent contractors, basically. Is that in the series? Yeah, in the series, and also it, well, both in the show and in the movies too. Yeah, but in Ghost Protocol and moving forward, there was always Simon Pegg, there was always Ving Rhames, there was because always because they're Michelle popular Monaghan. characters. They're popular characters, and because of events that slowly happen throughout the movies, there's certain change. You can see that the way they're operating slowly changes and shifts, where you only go with trusted people. Whereas that's true. Yeah. In the initial movies, you had no idea who you were going to work with. You just had to assume that they were okay and you were going to trust them, right? Except they, for you yeah, you didn't have a particular bond with any of the other agents. Uh, think of, yeah, think of it like the born identity where every agent is just sitting there waiting to be called. They don't necessarily know. They know of each other, but they don't know each other. Okay. Well, I thought they would just be forgotten in the next movie, like this week's Bond girl. <laughs> so we get to Prague uh, and then we go to their safe house. And Yes, now, wait, I wanted to say something about Prague. Oh, I also have I've, been, I've been to Prague. Me too. Have you been to the Prague castle and on that bridge? Yes. Oh, no. I, so on, on our honeymoon, me and my wife, we went to a few different places. Coincidentally, all of which have had Mission Impossible films filmed in them. You didn't <laughs> really I plan your honeymoon around Mission Impossible, did you? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> okay. Well, it seemed to have worked out. 
But I did visit pretty much every location they filmed it. Every major location they did filmed in in Prague. And so when you've this got to get to up, Dubai next. Yeah. So when this goes up, I will post uh, on our social media the photos uh, that I took of those locations as they exist now. Many of them still exist. I may have even filmed some stuff. Nice. Well, I think I recall you mentioning that before. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the safe house, and Jim is telling them the plan. Ethan's going in undercover. Sarah's already there undercover. Jack is going to, into the elevator shafts covering surveillance. Hannah is going to be eye in the sky. She's in person. She's tracking someone through there. Claire's handling transport. As they're talking, they, they reveal that you know, Jim wasn't in the last mission with them because he was off on a cushy recruiting assignment. He was staying at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. And Ethan has like this attitude mm-hmm. in this whole scene. He's, he's very like maverick. Yeah, exactly. He's very Tom uh, Top Gun. Like, yeah, he's very maverick in this scene. Well, it's just interesting to see that because in all the movies I'm familiar with this character, he's like the straight laced, button up, no nonsense guy. And it's an evolution of his character, really. Because uh, this is when he's very young, and he has to, he's evolved into becoming the team leader. Yeah, this is when he's the hot shot who gets called in, and he just does his thing, and then he's, bam, he's done. Um, but, like, he's the go-to. He, he's in, he is invincible, and nothing could ever touch him at this point still. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so Jim details a plan for them, and the big thing is that, basically, if these names get out in the open and exposed and sold to, you know, third world terrorists, arms dealers, drug lords, any and everyone who would like to get, you know, rid of the IMF, they'll all be executed. And so they really need to make sure they get this thing right. Yep. So they get their gadgets, they get spy glasses, which have cameras. And they remind me of every spy gadget you get at a toy store. (laughs) Spy Museum may or may not sell camera glasses, and I've been very tempted by them. It's funny re-watching it and then seeing uh, Emilio with the glasses and the lights. They immediately made me think of the Snapchat glasses. They look exactly the same <laughs> as the Snapchat glasses, except for oh, they're black instead of yellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they have fancy watches which have monitors built into them. Yeah, it's like they may Dick Tracy. Or may not have made toys out of them. What does well, that do? Right? Well, this this is a toy from 1996 that I do own. And it this one just has a recording, like a voice recorder. I'll try to remember to post a picture of that, too. I will. I have photos of all these things that I can post. And then their other spy gadget is exploding gum. Mm-hmm. Don't eat it. And, it, <laughs> and this reminded me of Spy Kids, where they have <laughs> tricked on that. And that's uh, that what Spy Kids was inspired by for this. Because this mm-hmm. was a big thing. That was the gadget of the movie. More so than anything else was the exploding gum. So also during this, we get a thing about Senator Walzer. Yes. So this is who Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt is going undercover into into the embassy as. And he's a senator. I, I don't remember if they mentioned which state he's from. It might be Wisconsin, I feel like. Uh, do they ever mention what state these senators are from in movies? Mm-hmm. Rarely. but Once in a while they will, but I don't <laughs> recall them mentioning it specifically. I think it was just senator, senator this, diplomat this. Mm-hmm. He there's also a brief scene of Walter talking about how he wants more transparency with the intelligence community. Yes, and we will talk about something they mention in that scene in our spy fact for spy fiction. Okay. Ooh. So they go in. Ethan is posing as the senator, and I guess he's he's like doing a voice. He doesn't have a yeah. voice changer like in the later mm-hmm. movies. No, those are not introduced until later films. So he is doing that voice. He it's a very foghorn leghorn voice very over-exaggerated southern accent 
meanwhile, Jack is dodging elevators to get into position. So this whole scene was filmed in uh, not actually the embassy, but in the Prague National Museum, which I visited. It was closed when I got there. Uh, yeah, well, it's... Yeah, they're too late in the day. Mm. But it looks exactly the same, and it's it, it's it's just... It was surreal for me, just because this movie I'd seen, you know, hundreds of times, probably. So, you know, it exists in my mind, but actually walking around that physical environment was crazy. But yeah, so, we have Ethan, you know, undercover. He's going in, and he, he meets up with Sarah, who's undercover there, and they're working together. We see that Galitzin is in the embassy as well. As he is right behind Sarah, we have Hannah who's up on the stairwell, you know, watching everything. And Sarah marks the package with a spray. And then Hannah takes her glasses, pulls the shade, is what she says, and basically transitions the lens. So now it's a darker tinge and she can see, you know, the specific color that is uh, sprayed on Galitzin by Sarah. Yeah, it's hard to miss if you're watching under the right circumstances. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. A little spray with a little dye or coloring of some sort, infrared. Who knows what type it is? Uh, I don't think they actually explained that. Um, but then I thought, like, I remember as a kid going, who the hell wears sunglasses inside? Wouldn't that be a giveaway? <laughs> and then... But then I was like, well, I guess they're not that badly tinted. And now looking at them, like, those glasses would fit in perfectly in, in today's world. With mm -hmm. color glasses and that specific design of the big old glasses. I was like, oh, those would totally work right now. And they're, like, I've posted this, like, anytime I, because I have I wear glasses sometimes and I have transition lenses. So anytime I go out in the sun and they start to transition, I just think of this. Do the transition lenses actually work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I remember when I was like in middle school, people would get them and then they would just get stuck midway between sunglasses and not sunglasses. <laughs> no, mine's will get pretty dark pretty quickly, actually, about a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it was going back, transitioning back to the indoors, but it also depended on the lighting, um, the types of lights that were usually in schools. A lot of times my friends had the exact same issue where <laughs> it wouldn't recognize the fact that you're inside anymore. So then it would <laughs> just be slightly dark and everyone eventually would just get rid of them real quick. Yeah, so Ethan and Sarah are going over to the denied access area. Sarah, you know, touches the elevator button, which has a fingerprint scanner inside of it. And as they're doing that, the people in the security booth are like, get start to get active. They, no they notice that um, her fingerprint's not in the system which Jack is supposed to be handling, but, you know, he's, ha he's still working on it. And so I get a, there's a great line here where they have to tell Jack, hurry up, but they have to do it in code. So Sarah asks, you know, is there someone on your staff named Jack? E Ethan's like, yes, we did have a Jack, an unreliable fellow, as I recall, constantly late and behind in his work. So I don't feel like they needed to tell him to hurry up. I think this was just Ethan having fun and being his maverick type self. <laughs> And I, I think Jack that. knows the stakes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he gets them in. Mm -hmm. They get into this this bunker, and they plant these spy glasses and try to get out. Yeah. So the glasses are there so that they can see. Like they, you know, they spend some time adjusting it to make sure that they can see in those glasses and on the monitors that Galitzin is stealing the knock list. Yep. But then Glitzen shows up. John Voight has a, a line that I liked that says he's in the box, which means he's in the elevator. So I really like that. And 
Our heroes escape by hiding under the elevator. Mm-hmm. As they're underneath the elevator, they're waiting for Galitzin to steal it, and he they see it on their watches. He steals it, they go out, and Tom Cruise removes his mask, which is the if you notice is the only one where it doesn't like cleanly pull off. It kind of peels. It's because it's the only time that's actually a practical mask. Like not digital. just another actor. Yeah. And then he also, I like this, he ha- he turns his white tuxedo jacket inside out, so it's a black tuxedo now. And so, he, you know, it looks completely different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they go outside. Him and Sarah are fake making out to look like they're just blending in. I have a question about the tuxedo really quick. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you ever get annoyed that, like, some of these spy movies should find something else for them to wear besides tuxedos? Because that's the James Bond thing. No, because they're at an embassy party. That makes complete sense. In this case, like, you know, like in later films, he doesn't wear tuxedos that often. It's usually just when it's appropriate, like whether he's in a fancy party or an embassy or what or whatnot. I wonder yeah. if the James Bond people tried to trademark a spy wearing a tuxedo <laughs> as like a thing. They have not, but Bond actors are not allowed to wear tuxedos in other films while they're in the role. It's like part which, of their contract. Yeah. Yeah. Which just is like why... Pierce Brosnan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are exactly. going with Pierce Brosnan. He's not allowed to have a bow tie in his movies as he's wearing a formal wear because that is a tuxedo that completes the tuxedo look, which oh, is interesting. In the uh, what was that what's that movie? Uh the one with uh Jennifer the Lopez. Thomas Crown affair. Yeah, that's he has to have it untied. Um, but now that he's not, no longer James Bond, he can wear. Now he it can now, do right? it. But that okay. was while he was still in the role. So yes. So answer to that question. But moving on. So Kalitzin has the disc. He goes out his exit, and as he's exiting, Jack's still on top of the elevator, and for some reason the elevator stops to go up. No one had done this. He's he's not sure what's going on, and it's going up real fast. And so everyone's saying, "Get out of there, Jack! Cut the power! You need to get out." He doesn't have enough time, and these pincer things on the top of the elevator crush like crush like stab him through the eye no no no, they don't crush his head they stab him through the eye right yeah so i guess that's like the heart being ripped out moment for this movie yeah coach bombay but at least it's very brief Mm -hmm. so jack dies the target is on the escape john voight is like we got to get out of here it's a it's a trap jim is leaving the safe house and going to ethan and sarah to come get them and help them and he's going off. He goes out onto the Charles Bridge. As he's out there, he says, you know, I have a shadow. We need to abort. And Ethan's arguing with him, saying, no, you know, we got to get this list. That's an order. Abort. Right. But, but then so, Maverick goes rogue. Like, he always uh, dies. So he tells Sarah, you keep your eyes on the package. I'm going to go get Jim. Runs over the bridge. Well, not mm-hmm. right, you know, he walks over the bridge. And as he's going there, Jim tells everyone, he's like, they're covering this frequency. Cut all radio communication. He passes by Claire, who's in the car. And as he's going going up the stairs to the bridge over the radio, he hears a shot. He doesn't actually. He doesn't hear. He get. He gets visual. Well, he gets. Um, he hears yeah. a shot, and then he looks at the video. Yeah. Right. And then it's. Yeah. It looks so, like John Voight dies. Yeah. So John Voight is gets shot. He looks up at a statue of an angel, and then he looks down, and there's bloody hands. This may be the scene that I recreated. <laughs> uh, okay. So then, also somewhere in here, I I have this down where. Ethan grabs Sarah by the shoulders and he says, we are going to recover that desk. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's like something out of a video game where they constantly need to be <laughs> reminding the audience what's going on. To be fair, this is a fairly complicated plot and it's only the first, like, what, 20, 30 minutes. 
Yeah, this is 22 minutes into the film. Uh, I'm actually running it in the background <laughs> to make sure that I keep my notes in line. Mm. But it's not just a video game plot, right? It's because they are spies. They had already said to abort the mission that everyone needed to go underground, that, that it was being scrubbed. But like you said, Ethan is a maverick, right? So he's invulnerable. He can he has never failed a mission. And so, I mean, it goes back to that whole idea of the mission comes first, right? Our lives are expendable because we are spies. We are disavowed. This is how it has to happen. Okay, that's fine. Maybe it's just because the movie's older, but I, I feel like they could have had the dialogue be a little cleaner. Like he could be like, forget it. I'm going after him or I'm getting the, I'm getting the desk. Even just as simple as I'm getting the desk. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So then it looks like John Voight dies. And then I was like, is Sarah a traitor too? Or is Sarah just a traitor? Because there's like a part where she's like kind of staring at the camera and you don't know what's going on. So that's when she's watching uh, Golitsyn. She's, she's, you know, she's watching him trying to not keep, you know, too close, but mm -hmm. far enough that she doesn't look suspicious. Well, I'm she does, but far enough away that, yeah, she's inconspicuous, but close enough that you can actually see what's going on. Ethan runs onto the bridge trying to find Jim, doesn't see him, you know, heard the shot and has seen everything. He tries to get on radio with Sarah, but Sarah, being a good agent, actually cut her communications. And so he can't get in touch with her. So he runs to where she is. He sees her basically leaning against the bridge, or not bridge, uh, against the gate. Uh, Galitzin is there too. They're both, well, she's yeah. not dead yet. Oh. She's just barely <laughs> not dead. Mm -hmm. says his name Ethan, and he finds a knife inside her, which is a very distinctive looking knife. And then meanwhile, somewhere along the line, Claire gets blown up in her car. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, basically, actually, was, so basically, everybody's dead. At, yeah, so as Hannah, as outside the car, goes inside, and it explodes. So everyone's dead. Ethan, as he's you know escaping from the police, does this really cool move over the fence that I always like. Like, how did he do that? I won't lie, I've attempted that move <laughs> once or twice, and uh, I, I have back issues for some odd reason. <laughs> I found the fence in Prague. Cool. And I was uh, so really tempted. I was very tempted to just climb up it and try to jump over that, but no, I did not. Also, more importantly, the disc is not there. Right. So, the disc so, is so he runs to a payphone and he calls headquarters with some code code phrases. He says, they knew we were coming, man. Game over, man. Game over, man. <laughs> yeah. So, and he gets on the line to Kittredge, who is apparently, the, well, he was the voice on the recording that Jim saw. He's also part of the CIA, as we later find out. But he's basically in charge of IMF operations. Okay, so they and are going to meet at the Aquarium. Aquarium restaurant in uh, Old Town, Prague. Does not exist. Yeah, I didn't think so, but I have been there, and I'm sure so have you, Christian, because it's the spot to go for tourists. Yeah. Kittredge says, you know, I'll meet you there in one hour. And he's like, he's confused. He's like, you're in Prague? You're the head of operations. Why are you here? Mm -hmm. So they meet. Kittredge is in the front. You know, gives them this spiel about, you know, here's your pa passport visa. We'll run the exfiltration through Canada. And Ethan is blaming himself for everyone being dead. Yep. And Kittredge reveals... Well, we, we learned some things. We learned there's another oh, yeah. team there. Yes. And and actually, if you watch it very closely, you can see them. Like, so the two drunk Russians are the most prominent ones. Mm -hmm. um, they were around Sarah. They're like, one of them almost falls into the into the river. 
and they're like they do a lot of close-ups on them when Sarah's watching Galitzin. You see them watching Sarah, and so they're in the restaurant, and the guy with the bow tie who's right behind um, Krieger, or not Krieger, um, Kittredge. <laughs> yeah, Krieger's later. Kittredge is behind Hannah, you know, as she's pulling the shade. And so it's like, if you just watch for them, and they actually pop up, the same team is the same team that pops up later on throughout the film, too, working with Kitchen. So I like this, because it's like Sherlock Holmes, where you mm -hmm. have a chance of spotting it if you're uh, a good enough secret agent, which I am not. <laughs> okay, so well, then it's revealed, though, it's revealed that the whole thing was just a sting operation to find a mole within the IMF. And since Ethan survives, they all assume kind of ridiculously that he must therefore be the mole. I mean, he survived. He's the only one left. But what kind of evidence is that? And also, I have a question. Yes. If the IMF set this up to catch a mole, who was killing all those people? Who's killing all the agents? It's a great question. And we will, get, we will discuss it. So one of the things that um, Kittredge reveals is that there's a check, op check arms dealer known as Max who apparently has been buying secrets from this unknown person who is the mole. He thought that Golitsyn was doing the job for them that night, referred to the as Job 314. But the list that Golitsyn sold was a decoy, and Golitsyn was actually in on it and knew what was going on. Well, I would hope so, since the whole thing was fake. Yeah, but we okay. find out apparently the real knock list is in Langley. It's, Which yeah, is, of course, exactly where it should be. <laughs> yeah. Why would it be in a random embassy in Prague? The reason, the other reason that they think that Ethan is the mole, we find out he's from Wisconsin. His dad's dead. There was a bank account that belonged to the farm he's from. And it was supposed to be wiped out because his dad died. And it was a slow illness. But now it's 120 grand flush. So there's all this money that they don't know where it came from. Ethan apparently doesn't know, but... They've, it's all set up so it's, to make it's it seem like, like a frame. Yeah, it's a frame. Yes. So he has to escape. So he uses the gum on a fish tank behind him, which gives off like a, a tidal wave of water, way more than what would actually be in the fish tank. I'm fairly sure. Well, if you look at the fish tank, it's above them. It's behind them. It's all around. It's a lot of water. Yeah. Okay. And if you see like the fish inside, I mean, it obviously goes up. It needs to. There's a lot more to it than just what I was discreetly shown in that point. I mean, the, the restaurant is called Aquarium, which is aquarium. Right. Yeah, and so, it's like right on the waterfront and all that stuff. Uh, so quick, uh, before we go on, uh, as uh, Kittredge is uh, explaining how your counts are flush and everything, uh, Ethan is in there and he slowly starts moving his hands up his pants and everything. When I first saw that, I was like, Oh, he is a mole. He's going for his Ooh. gun. <laughs> and I was really confused at first. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a double-double on me as a kid. And I was like, <laughs> well, not as a kid, but I mean, I was like, oh, crap. What, this, even if he was going for his gun, it doesn't necessarily mean he's the mole. I mean, he blows up the restaurant to escape, right, which is but, something a mole would do as well. Right, but that part, when he pulls out the gun, I'm like, okay, and he's trying to get away. If he was probably guilty he probably would have just shot Kittredge and shot his way out of there that's the way it worked through my head but i was like <laughs> as he was moving his hands up his leg i was like uh oh oh wait this movie got me again <laughs> the movie got me it got me well yeah so and then this this is where we get our first big instance of tom cruise running 
Oh yeah, well it's and a slow his, explosion too, yeah, and then he runs. That great stunt that he did himself. Like I always describe him as when his his running is like karate chopping the the air because it's always very straight hands, not like in a fist or even like loose. It's just straight hands up and down. That's like the T one thousand. If this movie came out later, or <laughs> I would picture him doing the Naruto run. Oh. <laughs> uh... That would be hilarious. All right, so Ethan makes it back to the safe house. He does it. He, as he's going up, he grabs one of the light bulbs out in the hallway, crushes it up, and sprints it over the path to the door so that he hears if someone's coming for him. Right. Inside the safe house, he grabs a gun from a flower pot, and he's looking for, he finds a bunch of passports he can use to get out of there, but there's no money. So he just stays in the safe house? Presumably, because so here's the thing about the IMF that's unclear. So in the original show, it was its own independent thing. And if you read the, there was a novelization for this book, which is kind of hilariously terrible. I've read it a few times. Okay. But it explains that in between the show and the movie, IMF got folded into CIA operations. Oh, that's good. But they're still pretty independent, so CIA wouldn't know where their safe house is. They set up on their own. Okay, so if they're if they're independent, why doesn't he have higher ups the IMF that he can call to help him out? So their their own section, but they still the person who they report to is Kittredge. Yeah, they they have handlers, right? Yeah. So that's their only go to because again, they're independent and contractors basically. Yeah. So they aren't supposed to. Ha- they're supposed to be disavowed. So they're not supposed if they, to. If they're yeah. caught. They have no way to then give up any additional information, such as a knock list. I know. I was just a little surprised that the CIA wouldn't have an easy way to trace him back to where he was staying. Well, like, you plausible think someone deniability. Would know about it? Plausible deniability. If they don't know about it, they can't can't be blamed for it. You have to access the internet <laughs> with your password in order for you to connect online, and then you have to go to the Usenet group. Just like my freaking childhood. <laughs> oh yeah, Peter. Yeah, there was was there modem sound? I can't remember. There was no not, modem. Not sound, in the movie. I was waiting yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been that would just made the cherry on top. But so he's looking. So he's like. So the only information he has is Max and Job or uh, Job three fourteen. So he's looking at all yeah. the Usenet groups and looking for you know anything Mac Max dot com, which apparently didn't exist. <laughs> I yeah, kind of, I should have, I should have looked it up before this to see what, ha- what is at max.com right now? <laughs> Careful what you look for. Uh, yeah. That's a, um, but as he's, he's, you know, searching all these sorts of things, Joe, Joe, you know, job 314, right, at, right behind the computer, he spots the Holy Bible and th- thinks about it. Job 314. Job 314. So he thinks, is, could it be related? Like, this is a massive leap. This is ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous <laughs> part of the movie by far. It also made me think of John 316. Mm. <laughs> you know, from football. So he, like, sends emails to p- p- random addresses. Well, not random addresses, no. but, like, cobbled together email addresses that involve Max and Job. So what no, What he does is he sends it basically. So he finds a Usenet group, discussion group, about the book of Job which is a book in the Bible, these email addresses. <laughs> these email addresses with spaces and colons. <laughs> yeah, you can tell it's early internet big time. But yes, yeah, so well, he sends so, a bunch of emails, yeah. So looking back at it, mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, I couldn't tell if it were actual emails or if they were members of 
the Usenet groups that he was direct messaging. That would make sense, but it does. It does it's like max at Job three colon fourteen. Right. So it'd be user right. max at the user Usenet group, right? I think that's the way. I forget how Usenet groups used to work. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. But yeah, so he he sends messages, a lot of emails in multiple languages, basically, and always quoting the same Bible verse, Job Job three fourteen. It's like a code phrase. I mean, that that part kind of works. Oh yeah, with kings and rulers of the earth who built themselves palaces now lying in ruins, is one of the translations. Uh, yeah. Of course, being the Bible, there are many different versions of translations. So that's, but they're all usually about that that sort of phrasing. So as he's sending them off, and it's starting to get earlier in the morning, you see the light. He hears a light bulb crunch, and in his very tired, he basically hallucinates Jim with bloody hands coming towards him, saying, "You know, why weren't you there? Why aren't you on the bridge?" And it turns out there is someone there, but it's not Jim. It's Claire. Yes. And we get a totally over-the-top Tom Cruise here. <laughs> He's, like, yelling at her and then aggressively interrogates her. They're dead. They're all dead. Ah! <laughs> uh, yeah. He, like, kind of manhandles her in a very uncomfortable way. But I guess she passes well, he's, inspection. He's also searching her. But yes, it was very aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. He's also so then, asking her, you know, who sent you and why are you here? And also, how come you're not dead? You were in the car, but apparently she wasn't in the car. Right. Right. And she's apparently doesn't know that Jim is dead. She has no idea what's going on and all of that. She finds out very, very abruptly that Jim's dead and reminds Ethan that if they aborted, they were supposed to be back at the safe house at 4 a.m., 0400. And of course, so in right other words, her story hear, lines up. Yeah. And at that moment, you hear four, four rings of the bell. Okay, so then the email works. He hears from Max and goes to meet him. But also we find out that Ethan has been disavowed. Oh, yeah. We sort of, I sort of assumed that, but we know well, that for I mean, sure. Yeah, that's, it's a big deal that he was... Because I think only once in the actual series did you see someone get disavowed. Yeah, I thought he goes rogue every movie. Actually, not everyone. But most of them. A lot of them, but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so he gets an email, you're right, and then he goes to meet Max, because Max has anonymity. He has to wear this, like, ski mask that's been sewed up. Mm-hmm. And so then when he gets there, basically, he's like, I'm a rogue agent. I have the list. I'll give it to you if you pay me. And he proves this is authentic by showing them that the decoy list has a tracker on it that calls the IMF slash CIA pretty much, mm-hmm. much immediately. About five minutes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> As they were waiting for this message, I mean, Claire is like, I can always go ahead and, you know, tell him that, no, you're totally fine. You weren't in on it. And he's like, if you're still alive, they assume who you're dead. So obviously they're going to think you're with me. And it's like, how did you not think of that, Claire? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Claire doesn't seem too smart for a secret agent. Sorry. Everyone had their own skills. And hers was driving, apparently. Okay, so the the old IMF, I I say old because a lot of them are old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Damn and they dress like yeah. old school spies and we meet uh barnes we meet barnes, barnes yes who is played by dale yes. die mm-hmm. dale die is colonel sink from band of brothers and he was in uh oh god what is the other movie well, he's been in a lot of stuff usually he has yeah. a mustache actually so he's a, a lot of people who you know 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 him don't recognize him in this movie because he shaved off his mustache 
Mm-hmm. And he kind of gives off Leslie Nielsen vibes. <laughs> he was in The Nice Tale, uh, and that's the only movie I really recognize him from. <laughs> really? Probably a lot of war movies, I think. Because he is a former like um, soldier, like I think special ops guy. And usually what he does, his specialty is he trains, he does like military boot camps for actors. Right. Uh, but yeah, so... Uh, Max, who also I, we just sort of skimmed, you know, skipped over the fact that oh, surprise, Max is a woman. Yes, and is some kind of like arch criminal because she has people who work for her and all that. Well, stuff. she's an arms dealer, is what she is. Okay, can we talk about how awesome the mask they put him in is? <laughs> <laughs> I have been tempted to make it. <laughs> that's about so the level fun. of my rudimentary sewing skills because it's a ski mask and they have like it's a cloth. And then the mouth is completely sealed shut with like red and yellow different types of threads. Yeah, it's so good. It's like they took like they cut up a t-shirt and just jammed it in the eye holes and then like took thread and was like, uh, sure. And they just like (laughs) covered the whole crap out of it. It was Mm -hmm. hilarious. Because it's like on the one hand, they went the extra mile and didn't just use like a pillowcase or something. But then when they went the extra mile, they kind of gave up halfway through. Right, yeah. and meanwhile, they're in, like, all this lap of luxury, they have all this stuff, and you're like, you couldn't just get a burlap bag, at least? Something? Yeah. And it's a ski mask, right? So mm-hmm. it's oh, yeah, it's thought, you could kind of sort of see through it at times. <laughs> so it's like, uh... So the CIA comes in, and they're searching the place, and, you know, Max and Ethan are gone by the time they get there, and Kitch- or Barnes wants to, you know, like, basically put a guy at the airport just flush, you know, look, search every forum. And Kittredge has a better idea. Instead of chasing after him, make him come to us. He has this great line. Everybody has pressure points. You find something that's valuable for them, and you squeeze. Gee, that sounds like something a bad guy might say. <laughs> you would think so. So, in the car that they've escaped in, we have Max and Ethan, and then apparently the deal with Job was that, you know, she would give him... Job six million for the, for the knock list. She's gonna give Ethan the same deal, but she but she wants the entire list, not just Eastern Europe. Ethan says, "No, I want ten million, and I want Job at the exchange because he's gonna expose Job as the real traitor." Yeah, and find out That's who Job fine. is. Yeah, that too. And we get the nice line of, uh, should, "Is it Max or Maxine?" And then she <laughs> talks about anonymity is a great blanket. <laughs> yeah. So back at the safe house. Claire is there, and you said to yourself, I'm not, if I'm not dead, I'm with you. It runs through all the different stuff they have. They have rounds for the Beretta and the Sig Sauer. They have mm-hmm. Visco glasses and a monitor. But they're going to need some help. They can't do this job alone. So they go to the disavowed list, which makes me wonder, how does Ethan still have access to the disavowed list? I mean, he just got disavowed. I'm sure it takes time for those ancient computers to communicate True. with each other. Right, Plus all the paperwork they probably just submitted the paperwork and it was a weekend <laughs> so no one was there to actually process the paperwork that's fair although it was already appearing in all their systems but you know i mean it's so very I'm sure, yeah i'm sure they just didn't get around to rescinding his credentials it's yeah. fine it's- so we get on a train in london mm-hmm. or oh, actually we don't know I, I i assume this was the london train but i actually don't know where this train is it's a train I think they go to London later. Yeah, they do. But I, I assume this was a train in London. But I actually have no idea. We don't know where this train is. But they're meeting on a train. We meet our two disavowed agents, Luther Stickle and Krieger, who I don't know if Krieger has a first, if that's his first name. 
or his last name. <laughs> it's his last name. His first name is Franz. Oh, that's right. Franz Krieger. You're right. They run down the plan. And I like these this code phrase they use at first when they're just talking about a oh, what simple plan. So I have a question, which is yes. why is Ving and Krieger helping him infiltrate the CIA? Because he's so going to pay them? Yeah. They're just about agents. But like they could potentially have a life in prison if they get caught. Yeah. yeah. But, but he's going to pay them very well. And but, I mean, what, what other skill? I mean, they they're not going to work at Mickey D's, or or they're not going to get a job at a bank. I mean, they're mercenaries. But, yeah. Okay, I would have liked to have something to be like. This is an, a no pun intended, an impossible mission. Very very difficult. I'd like to see more motivation than just money. Like, for example, these guys disavowed me, and I want revenge. Well, Luther gets motivation. his motivation. We find out what Luther's motivation is. In in code phrase, he says, you know, Xfil opens a pocket, CyberOp slips a wallet, which means Xfil, who is uh, exfiltration, that's uh, Krieger, and basically his thing is he can, well, he can fly a helicopter, and he can also just get them anything they need, whatever they need. And then Luther is a master hacker. And basically for them, this is about, he's the, you know, he can hack anything and anything, but this is the impossible hack. So that's his motivation for it. Ethan is goading him saying, you know, this is the Mount Everest of hacks. So he's like a thrill seeker as well. Every other hacker movie in the world, you put a challenge in front of them, they got to prove themselves the best of the best, right? Nothing can be, nothing is impenetrable. Everything has its weakness. It's typically hackers will think of it as a game. They're just trying to figure out the, if you're told you will never be, be able to do it, it's, it's yeah it's like okay especially when he gives a name of the person who has i can't remember if he developed the system or phineas phineas uh, freak yeah yeah Finney, uh what mm, i'm trying to remember the references for that there were really hackers called phone freaks spelled p-h-r-e-a-k-s mm -hmm. yeah phineas that's, gage is that let's see no phineas gage is the guy who got the no, rock yeah yeah I think it's just a pun on the word freak. Yeah. I like, okay, so I'm going through the, and I'm finding it in the actual movie. Ethan goads him and he's like, well, this doesn't sound like uh, the Luther, Luther Strickle Sticks I heard of. I know. Yes. Uh, what did they call you? The Net Ranger? Net Ranger. Phineas Freak. So he was Phineas Freak. Yeah. And the um, only man the who old... could actually hack the NATO system. NATO, go yeah. NATO Ghost Gum. And he's like, I never had anything to do with that. Uh, but it was exceptional, that exceptional piece of work. Piece of work. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, really yeah. So yeah, so it's that's what it was. So I flipped it in my head. All right. Uh, but yeah, and then he goes to Mount Everest, and he he's still like, you're kidding yourself. Even I couldn't do it probably. And then they go, well, Krieger, <laughs> he's like, going to do it. Yeah. So the setup is pretty ridiculous. So they have to get in, first of all, they have to get into the CIA and they have to get into the special room in the CIA, which you have to have first a retinal scan and a voice ID that gets you mm -hmm. to the outer room. To get into the inner room, you need the uh, a electronic key card. And then once you get into the room, there are three systems. There's temperature, there's pressure sensitive, and then there's sound. Right. And they say that all systems are state of the art. Anything like, you know, for sound, anything above a whisper, for the temperature, anything about, you know, a single degree in rise in temperature, all of that will set off basically a complete lockdown. So I thought once they were in the room, they had to use the disk on the computer in order to use it. No. Is that not the case? 
No, that's where Luther was supposed to come in. He was supposed to be able to hack from that from that console. And they were like, uh, that's not gonna happen, but <laughs> Okay, so they explain the plan and then they just go and do it. Well, yeah. they explain the obstacles and then we learn what the plan is as they do it. Unlike all the Oceans movies where they talk about it and then they do oh, it. Oh, they're gonna do it. Yeah. So they come in a fire truck. Luther is there hacking their system, setting off fire alarms. And so they find out which, you know, which uh, which section ha- controls the air conditioning, which is how they're going to get into it. So they're going to crawl through vents. <laughs> this was before it was cliche, I guess. Mm, I feel like it was already cliche at this point. I mean, this was prior to the woman who died in the vent. So, I mean, it was still a thing. Mm-hmm. People could always break in through vents. So Also, we get a nice shot of the CIA seal, which, again, is in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place, but at least they got the colors right. Mm-hmm. Not like our movie last week, uh, where it's like it was like bright, bright blue. <laughs> but yeah, this obviously was not filmed in say, C- inside CIA. But... So our heroes pose as firefighters. So I'm like, wait a second. So they just call the local fire department when there's a fire at CIA. Seemingly. So yeah, so I got confused with that too because I was like they would probably call and verify or did because by that time they're luther is already behind the computers and all Mm -hmm. so and it seems like in those typically and typically in the i mean you can see the computer display showing that the fire alarms are actually going off in the cia so it meant that they had to have hacked those systems right yeah they couldn't just call that in so Mm. if they could already hack the system why do they have to hack the system but then I realized, no, that it was a completely subsystem that they were hacking. Yeah, that's that whole that system. The not where the Noclus is stored. That is, there's no modem access in there. Luther calls it out earlier. Right. Yeah. Where did they get a fire truck? <laughs> well, that's what Krieger's for. He can get everything. I mean, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Because prior to yes. the mission, while they're on the train, Luther says that I can't plan this. I can't do this. I'm going without. A lot of materials and they look at Krieger and go Krieger and he's like what do you need and he's like, I need 24 hours but what do you need and he's like I need AI chip specialized AI chip. I need 600, 686 computer like it's like a ridiculous amount of stuff before they go in and basically to prototype their whole entire system so it's <laughs> I was like holy shit 24 hours mm-hmm. wow for all of that. Krieger is good at what he does. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's a movie. Okay, so our heroes are poised as the firefighters. They go in, and then one of them, like, breaks off from the pack and s- steps out. Steps into the ladies' room. Yes. And then we meet our uh, hapless technician, William Donlow, who is mm-hmm. the guy who actually works on the systems. So he goes into the room. And then we have Ethan and Krieger are the other two firefighters. So they go into Section 21, where the air conditioning is set up. The guard is f- showing him where it is. They knock him out. Krieger is about to kill him with a knife, a very distinctive looking knife. We'll come back to it later. Right. And Ethan's like, zero body count. We're not killing anyone, which is, I think the first time we get that sense that, you know, Ethan doesn't like want to kill, doesn't like killing people really, if it can be avoided. Especially innocent people. That seems Mm -hmm. to be more of the problem. But the fact that they knock somebody out at all, Mm -hmm. you think would have more ramifications later. But I also liked when Ethan does a karate kick, he does Mm -hmm. like, was really loud, like, hi-ya! And it doesn't seem to line up with his mouth movements. I don't remember. I have to go back and watch that. I should know. It's, like, it's like awkwardly mixed. 
was kind of funny. Okay, so they go yeah. into the ductwork and mm -hmm. they confront the lasers and they mm -hmm. use this machine that like drops at the same time. Yeah, so it just reflect, reflects the lasers into each other so it doesn't set off anything and allows them to go into the inside. Then there's two gadgets here that remind me of stuff from Doctor Who. So first, they have a sonic screwdriver that unscrews <laughs> things. Mm -hmm. Unscrews screws without touching them. And then they have the, the thing on the arm that reminded me of the thing from Silence in the Library, the pattern buffer that, mm -hmm. go, that like the lights that, go up and I down. never thought about that, yes. And that yes, thing that. measures sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talk about uh, how Claire does, goes in and sits down and sprays. Uh, mm -hmm. With the pen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I looked at the notepad that she's in there, oh. and it's just like squiggle, 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 squiggle. Was, <laughs> was it like, shorthand? I don't think it's shorthand. I think okay. it's just squiggles. <laughs> just doodling. Yeah, <laughs> not even doodles. It's just like blep, 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 blep. Maybe it's, maybe it's code. Maybe I was. I don't know. You're, but laughing. yes, I do remember that. Yeah. So she poisons uh, William Donlow with Epicac or something similar, presumably that's going to make him throw up. Right. Although it's like delayed Epicac because he doesn't instantaneously. So he puts in his coffee and also puts a tracker on him, like very delicately, like just touching his shoulder. And he's like, "Ooh, you touched me. Hello, lady." <laughs> but he's got like a wedding ring on. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't feel like, oh, ooh, I thought it was like, did someone just touch me? That's more the impression I got from him. <laughs> uh, he gave a little smirk. I mean, like, it's a little bit of a... <laughs> well, sure, who wouldn't? And then, so once, he, you know, once tracking's on there, Luther's in the vent, in the truck, and is like, hi there. <laughs> so now he can see where he's going, and so as he's coming back from the canteen, you know, Ethan is has already gone down the shaft, down, down, down into the room. They pull him back up a little so he can see basically see him as he's starting to work, and then he starts throwing up. So what's the idea? The idea is that they, he, like, opens the room and then has to leave quickly so that the temperature of the body in the room is, like, normal? So the temperature is controlled from the, uh, from the air conditioning. So okay. because their bodies are in there, it's going to adapt around them. Basically, it's not going to notice them since they've been introduced through the air conditioning. But I yeah. think, and maybe you, should, you can tell me if I'm wrong, part of the reason they need to be in there when he's there they need to see what the password is. Oh yeah, yeah, that, because that could be why. Because he yeah. can't, Luther can't hack in, so they actually need to see him putting in the keystrokes. Yeah, basically, Luther. He, yeah, I mean, he becomes his hands and his eyes, yeah. so he can do it. And the reason why, uh, well, so they go through the vents, and the reason why they have to hurry up is because their body temperature is raising the air ambient temperature in the room which mm -hmm. will kick off the center um but they are going through and they're sweating because i mean it's all of the which will kick off you know the motion centers in the floor plating centers because they had already previously shown that uh water dripping off of a sweating cup was enough to activate the center so you can, as he's going down, you could already see that Ethan is already starting to sweat. So mm -hmm. he knows he's on borrowed time at this point. And he's constantly looking at the temperature gauge because um, it's so sensitive that soon as a body temperature is introduced, it starts immediately kicking off um, and uh, changing uh, what the sensors read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as he, when Don Lowe leaves and because he's throwing up, Ethan gets down, and so what the thing he's strapped into is actually a flying harness. So it's actually pretty much the same thing that he used for Superman the movie when they used those flying scenes. Okay. So I have a question about this whole harness thing. Yes. 
So Krieger is apparently very out of shape because he can like barely do it. And you can't hold them there. But I'm like, there are machines that can winch people up and down. Why didn't they just use that? Mm. And Tom Cruise even has one, and it's quiet enough. What? No, he doesn't have a winch. Well, he has something that allows him to move himself up and down, like a little. Mm-hmm. That thing is a temperature. The thing that he's oh. holding that he put that's a temperature gauge. Okay. It's just Krieger, who is watching the monitor of the glasses, knows how far up and down he needs to be taken. Okay, that's all right. Fine. But then, so when he's holding Tom Cruise in position, don't, I mean, you guys have done mountain climbing, right? You just have, it's mountain climbing, rock climbing. Yeah. There's a position where you can just hold it where it's really not that, doesn't require that much arm strength to hold it steady. Maybe it's because it's a movie. But, well, he's so, not having difficulty holding him there. It's, it's fine. But it's what also about the scene with the rat. He's like, it looks well, like he's really struggling because he has to hold it one with one hand to try to kill the rat. And okay. then the other thing, as you're doing uh, climbing, the belay system is so that if you pull on it, you get suspended. He has to be able to adjust down and up. So he's not using the full belay locking system. Yeah. He actually has to keep him. And so also he, he has to do it a lot adjust. slower than you usually would probably do a belay. Okay, that's fine. He's, yeah. The only other thing I have about this part is, is it reminds me of 2001, A Space Odyssey. It was definitely inspired by that sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this sequence has been parodied a million times since. So, yeah, so he's going, well, first of all, he goes into the computer hacks in. At this point, Luther doesn't know what they're stealing. So, like, he just knows that they're stealing very valuable information. And so when he uses the mouse and goes over and selects the knocklist, Luther is like, holy mother of God, the knocklist. He doesn't seem too concerned about it, though. Mm. Ethan is putting, you know, putting it. Well, first of all, he has two discs for some reason. And he takes one, puts it in his mouth and takes the other and puts it inside and then puts the other one back. So I'm not sure. Then they look identical. So I'm not sure how he knows which disc is which. Mm hmm. And so he starts downloading that data onto there. And this is when, yeah, the rat comes by and Krieger, well, it seems like he's allergic or something. Or afraid of him, yeah. But well, he sneezes, so I guess that yeah, probably allergic. is allergic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the reason, yeah, the reason why, so because he takes his hands off of the belay to smash the rat, Ethan goes, flies down to the floor and is stopped, you know, inches away from the floor. And it's kind of a funny image of Tom Cruise, like, freaking out, but he can't say anything. <laughs> like, this whole sequence is brilliantly done, because it's all, it's totally silent, except for, like, Luther every so often just having, like, one line or two lines. So much tension built into it. Like, Ethan is sweating, and there's sweat on his glasses. That's yeah. a close call. And this is Which- where... This scene is where I really appreciate a lot of the cinematography, right? The choices of angles, the choicing of the lighting in this. So it goes on Krieger as he's straining and it's just catching like the lips and up. So you can see the little uh, tremor in his lips as he's straining. But then you can also just slightly see the rat in just enough lighting. Right, yeah. And and like there's a whole... And then it flashes over to... uh, Ethan, as you can see, the sweat is starting to beat down. And then you go to Luther, who's just like, ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes back and to like Krieger. Like, you, can see, you can see the like uh, the bead of sweat on the glass. And then you can just see Luther praying, like, don't drop, don't drop. <laughs> yeah, like there's so, there's a, there was a lot of good choices in this that like, I thought it was hilariously. The part where he up. catches 
the sweat. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Because it's, impossible. it's Yes, it is. Uh, and I'll <laughs> show you. So, well, I'm, I'll, I'll listen to this. Show us. Okay. So, hold on. Wait. I know I have glasses here somewhere. Here we go. So, I'm putting on my glasses. Okay. Sweat is dripping down on his right side and going uh-huh. down. Mm-hmm. He catch. He's this foot close to the ground. He catches it with his left hand. He's just How? that good. He's just How? he's just that amazing. So what Christian's trying to get at is that there isn't enough room to move your arm without hitting the ground. Yeah, and therefore yeah. setting off the pressure. The sensor. only way this works is if Luther has. And I guess it that make does make sense. Luther has been very slowly pulling him up, so he's not that close anymore. But he's still very close, and also the, the bead of sweat is just coming down. And when he catches it, it's not like it's just down. It's like full on underneath. But there's like additional space, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, whatever. So he's getting out. He climbs up. And for some reason, Krieger has his knife out. Mm-hmm. And takes the disc away from Ethan. Yes. Well, he probably has the knife out because he just killed a rat. Uh, I never okay. thought about that. I'd like to see a little bit of rat blood. Make it a little clearer, but whatever. So then the knife falls in slow motion. And this reminds me of a documentary on Netflix, which I can't really recommend because as a, a whole, it's not that good, but it's called Command and Control. And it's about an accident involving a nuclear missile. There's a part where it starts by a guy using a wrench on the edge of it. And the wrench slips out of his hands. And there's a slow motion part of the wrench falling, falling. And it falls all the way to the bottom. And it bounce, bounce. And then it knocks into the side and like sets off like a gas leak oh so, so reminded me of this 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 knife all cgi all right it looks good it so looks really good mm-hmm. yeah it's uh very well done yeah it's very actually and one of the ways you can tell is um actually there's other podcasts well there's two two great great mission impossible podcasts out there like the fuse and minute impossible and i don't remember which one of the two that uh, I think it's like the fuse where they mentioned that like they talked to John Knoll, who, if you know your Star Wars, worked on the special editions and the prequels. He's the one who animated this knife. And you actually see hash marks on the like screen uh, giving you a timing, which is an old like CGI animator trick. Okay. Okay. So the knife falls and then it sticks into <laughs> the blade down. It sticks into the <laughs> desk like that Batman Star Wars has on cool. And the analyst comes back and he's like, what? And they have to get out of there. And he checks the keystroke log, which I'm glad they have at least a keystroke log so they can see that. It's the, otherwise, if if not, that seems like bad security. Right. Mm-hmm. But So a keystroke log just logs the keys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that it's like file downloaded, it's like, wait, fair, what? Fair. Did he type <laughs> file downloaded? Is that the log? I mean, to get on the internet in this movie, you type internet access. So maybe... Also, I can't believe that with all the other security systems, they don't have a freaking camera in this vault. That's crazy. Um, my one excuse for that mm-hmm. is that they don't want anyone else seeing these names. Well, you just put the camera behind the computer. Maybe, maybe. You can see people, but not the computer. Okay, so then our heroes escape to London, the next stop in our international jet-setting movie. And there's a confrontation with Krieger where he's like, I... I have the list, and I'm not. I'm not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. This is where we have Tom Cruise close-up magic. Yeah, he he came off as very condescending in this scene, uh, which I did not appreciate. Yeah, like but... I understand that Krieger is kind of a jerk and will eventually be revealed to be a bad guy, but no need to kick him while he's down. 
Is it well, that? Is it that, or is it because he already recognized the knife? I think so. I think that's part of it. So, so you he, think he, he already has is a theory? Yeah. yeah. So he already he has a theory. Yeah. Ethan has two discs, and so Krieger thinks he has the list, but he says, "No, no, this is the this is the real list right here." And starts doing magic tricks that makes him disappear, and it appears, you know, and make it reappear in Claire's pocket, in his own pocket. <laughs> right. Krieger gets pissed off, saying, "You're trying to sleight of hand with my money. I'll cut your throat!" And t- tosses his disc in the trash. Yes. And then uh, Ethan looks at the Bible and sees that it has the Drake Hotel stamp on it. And he realizes that that's where John Voigt was staying at, which means there's only one conclusion. John Voigt steals Bibles from people. <laughs> that's not cool. Well, yeah. that used to be a thing. People would steal Bibles all the time from hotels and various... I have I've, I've been tempted to well i've never i've been outside the drake hotel chicago i've never gone in never stayed there but if i did stay there i would be tempted to steal a bible too you can't steal a bible a towel that's, maybe i would say, really nice I'd be tempted why I mean, what's the face for jay why is a towel any different than a bible other than the bible is supposedly the word of god yeah that's not enough uh. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. You shouldn't be stealing anything from anybody. True. But it, I mean, it's it's like stealing it's like stealing money from a church versus from like a person. It's worse. All right, all right. Well, anyways, I said tempted. I didn't say I would do it. I just said I would hmm. be tempted to if I was in the Drake Hotel, just because of if it had that stamp that said "Placed by the Gideons" in the Drake Hotel, Chicago. Okay. So then Ethan gives the real list to Ving to Luther. Or to Luther. Yeah. And then we see members of Ethan's family are being arrested. Yeah, so going back to Krieger, uh, not Krieger, too many names in this movie. Too many Kittredge. Cook, cook yeah. names, too. Kittredge, let's find a pressure point of Ethan's. So his, we see a newscast with his mom and his uncle Donald being framed for peddling a drug known as uh, methcathinine, which is a real drug. Oh, okay. So and its street name is Cat, like they say in the news broadcast. I, I was kind of like, why didn't they do this in the spy who dumped me? That would have been <laughs> smart. Okay, so so Ethan calls the CIA and threatens them. He's like, you don't want to mess with me. So he calls them, he calls Kittredge, and as he's calling, he's watching the clock because he knows exactly how long it'll take to trace the call. He cuts it short with three seconds before they can pinpoint him exactly. And Kittredge notes that, you know, he, wa- he wanted to, us to know that he was in London. And like this whole time they're talking, you know, he's mentioning how yeah, if, you, if you come in now, we'll drop all the charges against your parents. We can even plead down some of the ones against you. They're really, he's just trying to keep him on the phone. And Ethan knows exactly what he's trying to do. But he's one step ahead of them and wants them to know they're in, that he's in London for some reason. As he gets off the phone, he mm-hmm. turns and sees Jim yes. in the phone booth next to him. John what? Jim's, Jim Phelps. He is not dead. Do you guys oh. actually think he was dead the first time you watched this movie? I did. Oh, oh yeah, I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys were like kids, though, right? I was not a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid, sure, but yeah. But, and <laughs> this scene caught me, because he, like, is in his face, in Ethan's face, and starts coughing. I was like, and I was, it made me cringe. <laughs> 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 the world we live in. I'm like, yeah, that wow. is 
Put on a mask, Jim, and social distance. Come on, buddy. <laughs> they like sit down at a restaurant, and it looks like John Voight is still injured. There's a part where he says, I can sit up straight, just not very well, which I liked. <laughs> Tells Jim that Kittredge is actually the mole. And this, the first time watching, is the most confusing scene. <laughs> okay, so I was like, John Voight is telling him that Kittredge is the mole, but meanwhile, they're showing the audience that actually Voight is the mole. So, but is Ethan figuring out at the same time as the audience? Yes and no. Why did they got it up at all? He has this suspicion in his mind already because of the Bible from the Drake Hotel Chicago. But he starts, this is where he really puts the pieces together. Okay. So yeah, so he's seeing all these, you know, scenarios. All right, so he you know, took out Jack in the elevator. You see him, you know, um, Jim pressing a button on the laptop as, as the prongs come out and stab Jack. Mm-hmm. And then he said, shot you on the bridge. And you see this sequence of Jim with a gun, presumably filled with blanks, turning the gun on himself with a blood packet to make it look like he'd been shot and jumping right. over. Yeah, so he actually jumps over the bridge. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've looked over the edge of that bridge. It's a long way down. <laughs> yeah, he could easily have died from that. You, you presume he was dead before because you thought he was shot and then went in the water, which would probably kill him. But if you're not shot and you're pre- pre- perfectly healthy... I'm still a long way down, but it makes it more likely that you would survive. Mm -hmm. And then we learn Krieger is also a bad guy in the sense that he's working for Jim. At least in Ethan's head. Yeah. Well, Ethan's head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Based on what the movie is showing us, he's the one who stabbed Sarah. Sarah and Gulitson. Yes. And then Claire is also bad. No, this is where Ethan's not sure. Because okay. he first thinks, he's like, how did he do Hannah? And, you know, he first imagines it being Claire, but he doesn't want to believe it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, he could have done Hannah himself. And he imagines Eat Jim coming out of, you know, the water and then looking at his watch and pressing the button. Which, you know, shows, you know, okay, so he's doubting whether Claire's involved or not. He's not really sure. Okay. Yet the, the why speech. <laughs> the monologue. Mm-hmm. And he, like he's asking Jim why in the guise of why do you think Kitchen did it, but he's really asking him why did you do it, Jim? Uh, nice. Like, if you think about it, it was inevitable. No more Cold War. No more secrets to keep it from anyone or yourself. Operations you answer to no one but yourself. <laughs> and the, suddenly you wake up in this, the you know, presence of the United States is running the country without your permission. Son of a bitch, how dare he? <laughs> So it's a little bit like that senator from before, Walzer, who wanted transparency. No, it's more that realizing that, well, and I get so Jim is saying this, saying Kittredge is thinking this, but this is really his motivation, is that right. Cold War is over. We have no more use for you. Think about, think about Goldeneye. This is what I thought about when I read this, heard this, you know, where it's like, you're, um, without the Cold War, what, what good are we Cold War spies? And also, we're get, getting paid lousy, 60000 mm-hmm. or 62000 a year. Although, I look, uh, we looked it up. Apparently, it's about 100000 now. Which seems pretty good, but I guess he was ambitious for more. At the end of this big speech, Ethan's still pretending that he believes Jim. He tells him the plan, which I assume is there just to lure him there. Yeah, the plan is still on, despite everything. And they're taking a TGV, which is a, it's a, a TGV, if you want to do the French pronunciation, to mm-hmm. Paris. 
which is a, it's a high-speed train that goes between London and Paris. And he tells Jim, once we leave, get into our safe house, get some rest. Mm-hmm. And I'll meet up with you later. So next scene is they're on the train. They've got the disc. They've got our heroes. They've got Max's people. They've got the, the real CIA people. So everyone's on the train. Everyone's there. And we see someone in a trench coat putting together a gun, which mm-hmm. is hidden in a boombox. Yep. Max thought there would be a face-to-face meeting. Mm-hmm. But Ethan is just calling her on the phone and says, you know, reach under your seat. I always love this. Reach under your seat and grab the disc. So somehow right. he has time to set this up. And so there's the disc there. She gives Ethan the location of the money, uh, baggage car, silver briefcase, combination 314. Yep. Because she likes to stick to a theme. Mm-hmm. Branding's important. So the whole... Look underneath your seat, uh, find the disc. I like the whole aspect that the where he's going at Krieger with the magic hands of uh, knowing where to look and where to grab things. It basically sets up the fact that he can do this. Like this is a skill that he knows. He knows how to read people. He knows how to read the room, figure out where things are going to be and manipulate the environment for his own magical sake. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're checking the list, and but and the across the aisle from them is Luther with a jamming device that jams them from getting access to the internet. Good, because they're not just going to hand over the real list to the bad guys. I thought it was going to be another fake list. <laughs> no, it's the real list, and um, I think we talked about this in uh, what was it, Breach, where I was where I was saying. How ridiculous is it that they gave the guy who they're suspecting of being basically the CIA's first yeah, cyber criminal access to everything because mm. they need to catch them in the act? And I even said that this is more ridiculous in real life than any of the things where Tom Cruise dangles actual real things to the criminals, but then needs to steal it back. Right. Like, like here. Mm-hmm. Max tells Ethan where the money is and also Claire spots Kittredge and Barnes on the train and tells and she tells Ethan and he says I'm right behind you meet me in the baggage car right and so Claire goes into the baggage car and sees Jim sitting there mm-hmm. is not surprised and basically says you know do we have to kill Ethan you know no one's seen you alive we take the money Ethan takes the blame right and so she's softening. She's like, mm, I don't know if I feel good about killing Ethan and more. And then Jim start, touches his face, pulls it. It's a mask and it's Ethan underneath. It's another freaking mask. Okay, so they, <laughs> I would like in these movies to explain where the masks come from and how they make them. They do later. And I know they do it in later movies, but not in this one. Because so you're like, not supposed to know that it's a spy secret. I don't know. I think the masks are probably my least favorite part of this entire franchise. I know that they're classic. Well, I think there's, it's not a coincidence that my personal favorite one, Ghost Protocol, doesn't have any masks in it, if I recall correctly. And if it does have them, they are very limited. (laughs) Hmm. There's one. There's one mask, actually. Okay, so the exposes Claire and Jim, but then the real Jim pops out. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Dressed like a commando. (laughs) Yep. Uh, 
there's a fight. Claire gets shot and presumably killed. Mm-hmm. She's the, yeah. And then the real action starts. Yeah. So as after she get well, so as we'd seen, you know, Jim, we found so it's Jim who was putting together that gun because that's the gun that was used. There are only mm-hmm. two shots in that gun, and so. He uses one to shoot Claire, and he's about to shoot Ethan with the other. He, Ethan gets around him and, you know, shoot, has him fire into the air. So now he, that's why he doesn't try to shoot him again after that. Mm-hmm. And so Jim goes on top of the train, and he goes first to cradle Claire's lifeless body, feeling bad, and then goes up on the train <laughs> to join him. So this whole scene on top of the train, I assume mm-hmm. that the, I know that Tom Cruise does crazy stunts in later movies, but I, this isn't one of them, is it? Yes and no. Okay, because parts of it the, were filmed on a train, but going at a slower speed, and they sped up the film. And was it actually Tom Cruise or stunt doubles oh, yeah. doing it? Tom Cruise. Okay, we're done with green screen with a giant fan. With the camera when it's on the side, it looks green screened. But I will say that every part of this, it felt real. You felt like they were going at a ridiculously high speed. Yep. Unlike other movies, like say Speed, where you have people <laughs> on top of the train. And it, it feels like they're going, like, maybe 25 miles an hour. Yeah, but that's the difference between, like, uh, what was it? The New York uh, subway and... Uh, was that New York? Where was Speed? L.A. L.A. subway. Mm-hmm. And the TGV, which is, uh, like, a bullet train-style thing. But they're both going to be ridiculously fast. And they, the characters should feel like they're barely hanging on. I don't know. And they so, should look like, like they're flying fast with air. Fast. Okay. Well, realism aside, it made it a lot more exciting. So I appreciated that. Well, yeah, and as all of this is going on, Luther, well, he's still trying to jam them, but has to leave because he sees Krieger and Barnes. And Krieger and Barnes are talking very loudly, saying, like, we don't even know what Max looks like. We don't need to know. He's going to want to check that list. And you know what that means? Laptops. Of course, Luther's there with a laptop with, like, a thing that says activate jamming sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, hmm, this looks suspicious. So he he's able to, he like closes the laptop, he's able to keep, you know, jamming them with the phone, except the signal that the phone, that the phone is giving off makes it look like it's ringing. One of these uh, conductors sees it and you know, brings it over to Luther and is like, your telephone, sir. He's like, oh, so, thanks. And as that happens, all of these phones around him are getting jammed and, and one of Max's henchmen sees that, gets very suspicious, starts following Luther, and Luther like barricades himself inside the bathroom. And as this is happening, Barnes notices, uh, Barnes and Krieger notice, not Krieger, Kittredge, notice, you know, um, one of the henchmen banging on the door and like, what's going on? All right, let's um, pick this lock. Oh, and we skipped over. We skipped over the fact that Ethan uses the glasses yeah, I wanted to go time. back. To that. Yeah, yeah, I wanted so, to get back to that at some point. So before before they jumped out like on top of the train, you know, he, Ethan's like, you know, you you were wrong about one thing. I'm not the only one who's seen you alive. Well, he doesn't even directly say that. He's just like, you're just wrong about one thing first. Oh, yeah. And then he goes and he's like, do you mind if I just reach over? <laughs> and then he pulls out the glasses. He slowly opens them up and puts them on, and there and then- is. Kittredge looking <laughs> at his watch. He gets an alert to look at his watch or his something. Watch that looks like this. Yeah. Yeah. The so, Dick Tracy watch, right? Yeah. And oh, there yeah. it is. His face it, right there. It says, Good morning, Mr. Phelps, which is, of course, the line from recording of the recordings that they get in each mission. Yeah. yeah. And so 
that actually led me to a question of yeah. was the glasses recording the whole time or do they only record when they're open and on your face from what i know of the glasses i think they record it all the whole time because unless they get crushed or something because when we back in prague in the safe house they're still like they're still on like when ethan gets back to the safe house he goes back to the laptop and you see all the different camera feeds that jim was watching including his glasses um sarah they looked like glasses in the vault yeah so those glasses oh. are still recording but the ones from other people who had been exploded or crushed are off like a static symbol signal okay that makes sense so, but then as long as they have battery they will keep right. recording but then that makes me wonder how did Kittred know to look at his watch? Like, what was the signal that came off for him to suddenly go, oh, there you are? Oh, that's a good hmm. question. I, I presume that because Ethan was lying in wait for him and Claire, he just had the glasses recording the whole time. Yeah. Just, set, just set them up and let them run. Right, but then the indicator for suddenly for him to look at his watch to see the face, which is what threw me off. Uh, oh, that that made me point. wonder if you had to turn them on by opening it. I mean, it could still be the case that maybe once you first open them up, then they start recording and then they maybe. stay recording after until you're told to shut off. Uh, that might be the case. The other thing I wanted to go back to real fast was uh, when they're talking and uh, uh, Jim is like, that's... You, Claire, you're the other reason, and you're like, he wait, <laughs> do you do not covet another man's wife? And you're like, I didn't know if you would go for it, but having tasted, <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah. no, because uh, uh, oh, they're Eskimo like, the brothers now. <laughs> what's the age gap between Claire and Jim? We haven't discussed this, but she's it's a large. much younger wife. <laughs> well, yeah. didn't he say he, he was married to uh, one of them? Was it Claire? It's Claire at the Claire's beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm just like that age, but like still the age gap, and also just saying having tasted the goods, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, why do you have to put it like that? Yeah, but yeah, I get we yeah we kind of glossed over the fact that the reason that you know Ethan, so Ethan already knew about Jim, but didn't know about Claire, and like that's the reason why he's still performing the charade because he want he needs to cap capture or know who everyone was involved, and there's a whole sort of cut plot line about and then it's you can still see vestiges of it but like that sarah uh, not sarah that ethan was kind of in love with claire mm, well, like, it, at least had some sort of connection or at least yeah. some sort of well the, uh, they made in like some cut scenes that were actually in the trailer there's like in the main more explicit like when he goes back to to the safe house uh, after he fi finds jim i think like they kiss or something and, and the novelization makes it much more explicit I'm sure it that does. He feels terrible that he's in love with his mentor's wife. Right. But I'm his glad dead mentor's more, wife. Yeah, well, yeah. So I'm glad that they cut that because it just makes another layer that we don't really need. But it, but then this sort of scene at the end doesn't quite gel because it's gone. Mm -hmm. Anyways, back to the action. So they're on top of the train. Krieger is in a helicopter and he's there to get Jim. So yes, Jim, like from the opening of Batman the movie <laughs> with the rope ladder. Yes, yeah, so he's got he's got a uh, he's got a, a cable with a carabiner on it, and he's like Jim's climbing his way to the end of the train, and Ethan is uh, so Jim has got like climbing gear. He's got the magnetic suction cups right from before. 
and then Ethan like Has slides nothing. down, and and he's able to like attach a cable, attach the, the, the helicopter to the train. And when he does, he goes ah, ah and then he I, kicks it. <laughs> yeah, I like that part. It, it felt very real. Like, uh, no. but yeah, like so not Jim something that someone would say. Jim kicks him off, so he's on the side of the train now. Mm-hmm. As they're, you know, the cable. Um, was that Krieger's trying to pull the, pull the helicopter away, but he's attached, and they approach a tunnel. And, and Krieger like, has okay, to bring Krieger's dead. Yeah, the helicopter into the tunnel. So well, yeah, Krieger's not dead yet. He's just in the helicopter. He's a very good right. pilot. No, but I'm he's... like Krieger's gonna die here. He's got to. <laughs> so they bring him in. So he's inside the tunnel, and we get this cartoony looking conductor. Mm-hmm. Who's like, no, he's Boy, in, in the train. No, no, don't sp- slow down. Accelerate, accelerate. <laughs> Which is the last thing Ethan needs. John Voight makes his way onto the the ro- the uh, landing gear, and then Ethan is hanging onto like a windshield wiper, and then Krieger tries to cut him in half with the rotor of the chopper. It's ridiculous. I mean, so he's still pissed. Off. I, th- I think. Krieger does not like magic. That's my my my, my theory. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he's still so put him over the edge. <laughs> yes, but it's like he would definitely crash if he actually was able to make contact with uh, Ethan. And that's what happens. He goes so far down that his mm-hmm. tail his tail rotor hits the the roof of the tunnel. Yeah, and so that like jolts him, throws him off, gives Ethan the chance to get up, jump mm-hmm. onto the other landing uh, land. Um, What's that called? It's like a, I just call it landing gear. It's probably called landing something. Rail, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other strut. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, and, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, takes mm-hmm. out, takes out some gum. Another piece of gum. I guess he has two. Yeah. Well, I like. I, I think it's he a gave like pack. Jack him. Yeah, Jack mm-hmm. gave him a full pack, and we've only seen him use it once so far. Right. And he shouts, "Red light, green light." Smashes it into the front of the helicopter, positions himself in front of the helicopter, and it explodes, killing Krieger. Jim is crushed on underneath it, and it propels him forward into Onto the train. train. <laughs> Ridiculous. But also, the gum is powerful. Mm-hmm. Didn't they say when they first used it, you're supposed to use it for like safe cracking? They just say, oh, actually, you're right. No, you're right. Come up against a lock you can't pick. You mash it together. Oslozani. Yeah, that wasn't out. a pfft, That was a boom. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very powerful stuff. Uh, yes. I forgot apparently. that it was for safe cracking. <laughs> Shattered glass of a fish tank. I mean, it's not like it didn't cause a rupture in gas lines or anything. So, like, yeah, it's meant for smaller explosions. So, you could say caused the initial and then maybe it caused the tank to blow up or something, which gives them the extra time to get blasted for it. Who knows? I mean, it's fine. It's an action movie. We want explosions. I just thought it was kind of funny. And yeah. I did like that John Voight didn't have this like big dramatic No, you just see him sort of crushed very quickly. Yeah. Not enough of those in movies. Yeah. And so as this is, and as the helicopter explodes, it's tumbling forward and it collides with the back of the train where Ethan is you're still on you know on on the on the train basically right below the windshield of the back of the train 
And as it's slowing down and moving, one of the rotors comes up and goes right in front of his neck. (laughs) And it's all like jagged, I guess, because it's partially broken. And exploded. Yeah, another another near miss. Another happy landing. (laughs) Would be like just the sting of the music. Dun dun. And it's just right as it's, it's the music. So the music, we, like I, I've, we've briefly talked about music, but it's by Danny Elfman, and it's kind of we, like it's a, which is a weird choice you'd think for a Mission Impossible movie because it's you know Danny Elfman's got his real signature style, but it works really well. And he only goes into the full-on Mission Impossible theme like a few twice. times, yeah. Oh, other than title sequence, obviously. But yeah, yeah. so you know, and as this happens, we have the very you know cartoony-looking conductor. Sit watching this and then fainting. Yep. So then the next I have is we go to Max, who's being arrested. Yep. She's like, my lawyers are going to have a field day with this, to which Kittred says, we'll just leave the courts out of this one. <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, so she's going to Guantanamo Bay and is going to get waterboarded? Yes and no, maybe. Well, also basically, well, she says, I'm sure we can work out some, there's something I have that you want. So she's trying to get a deal. Yep. Do you think that's like social commentary? Like the rich and powerful always get away with it. Maybe. Who knows? Also, Luther is there and like he's the one who actually hands over the disc to Kittredge. Mm-hmm. And then later Luther and Ethan meet at a bar in London. And so we find out that Ethan's folks have been cleared. And Luther is off the disavowed list now. So like, and, yeah, all all is forgiven, basically. Mm-hmm. For both Ethan and, and uh yeah. Luther. And so Luther is going to work back to work at the IMF, and he mm-hmm. wants Ethan to come back with him. And he's like, "No, I don't. I don't think so. I just, I just don't know what I'd be doing it for anymore." And so Ethan goes, gets on a plane, and yep. I guess he seems like he's going home. Maybe he's going back to Wisconsin. But while he's on the plane, a stewardess comes up. Would you like to watch a movie, Mister Hunt? And he's like, "No, no, thank, no, thank you." He's like, "Would you consider the cinema of the Car- Caribbean?" Aruba, oh, it's like in the beginning. Cue the music. <laughs> Jeez, they don't even give him a break before his next mission. Yeah, so it's like uh, what the Godfather. Just when I think I, I'm out, they pull me back in. Well, he also seemed confused too. He was like, "What? What are you talking about?" Well, no, he he at first he was like confused, and he realized, "Oh, that's what this is." <laughs> yep. And that's where our movie ends with more with, with more music. <laughs> Of yes. you know the next adventure to come. I think that was that podcast was just about as long as the movie was itself. <laughs> Probably longer. And we're not even in despite fact versus short. fiction yet. It's like five minutes shorter than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, podcasts are not over yet. So first spy fact versus spy fiction. So obviously, the Impossible Mission Force is, as far as we know, not a real thing. Um, but. So in one of the, one of the scenes, I think it's when we get the initial briefing um, on the in the plane. We actually see everyone's sort of IMF files, and we see everyone's GS levels, and we see that Ethan's is where is it? I have it written down. GS seventeen, step nine, merit five, which GS seventeen doesn't exist anymore. It stopped at GS fifteen. So he's like really high. Apparently, at one time there were. G- three GS supergrades, GS 16, 17, and 18, but these were eliminated in 1978. Yeah, and now they're like basically rolled into the SES level. Exactly. 
Now, I already talked about how Jim Phelps was on the original uh, was on the original show. He came in on the second season to replace Dan Briggs, who was in the first season. Mm-hmm. As IMF was originally an independent organization, and in the novel edition, they explained that it was folded into the CIA. But in future films, it seems like they they seem like they're independent again. Now, the main the um, target from the first. Um, from the embassy, Alexander Golitsyn seems to be named after Anatoly Golitsyn, who was a KGB defector. Basically, gave a lot of information to the CIA on the oper- operations of the KGB. Um, let's see the place where they, I think I mentioned that the you know where they filmed the embassy in Prague is not actually U.S. embassy. The actual embassy is in that area, though it's just like further back from the river, not on Kampa Island, which is where the uh, location that they used was for the exterior. Instead of the Octavarium restaurant over there, there's actually a hotel and a art gallery. And then London, uh, they didn't they didn't film in Langley for well for exterior shots and driving shots. They filmed in Virginia, but Langley was not used for the interiors. It was London County Hall. Okay. And so the knock list, knock list stands. I, I mentioned it briefly, non-official cover, as opposed to official cover, which is if you're working at an embassy. Or some sort of government organization as your cover um, cover identity, so you have that protection basically, where you can if if you get caught, you won't be killed. You're merely extradited, extradited, and persona non grata in that country. If you're not official cover, that means you're undercover as a businessman or whatnot, something else, not not a government agent. So in that case, you can be, and non official cover is a real thing. But so far as we know, there is no knock list because that seems like a terrible idea to keep all of that information together in one place. Yeah, why would you? Finally. So in that video, which Senator Walzer, uh is talking and um, I'm trying to remember who the interviewer guy is because that's, that's, like, that's a real guy who was interviewing him. But okay. he mentions, he accuses him of like trying to lead the kind of charge that Senator Frank Church led, which disabled the intelligence gathering of this country. So the Church Committee was a Senate committee in the the 1970s where he was trying to investigate basically intelligence abuses in 1975. Mm. Yeah. So that was a real thing. Yeah. So the interviewer is John McLaughlin. That's who it is. Yeah. Yeah. but yeah, so that's what I've got for spy fact versus spy fiction. All right, thank you. Next, we have our favorite quotes from the movie. Anyone want to go first? Jay, how about you? I laughed when it got to the toast. <laughs> toast. 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 <laughs> toast. <laughs> like that by far. <laughs> I think that was like when I actually started to connect with him more because I was like, that's probably something I would do. I'd be stupid like that. <laughs> but like it caught me off guard because it was funny because you, you don't really necessarily like your toast. Oh, oh, hey, he's kind of clever. That's kind of <laughs> where it got me. So like looking back on that, that was like when I started going, okay, I can actually get really into these things. Uh, but yeah, it just, it made me chuckle and then chuckle again when I was watching it again. All right, Zach. Well, a lot of the ones that I liked, we've sort of gone over already, but I liked where in the scene, the first scene with Kittredge, when he gets on Tom Cruise's case and Ethan says, you've never seen me very upset. (laughs) 
Uh, I mean, it's like a little bit funny, but it's also kind of cool. It also reminds me of the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I have two uh, I really like. All right. So one, the first one is by Kittred. How many identities do you think Hunt has? How many times he's slipped past customs in how many countries? These men are trained to be ghosts. We taught them to do it, for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. And my other is Ethan. When he's, he's goading Kittredge and you know, trying to make him track him to London, he says, if you're dealing with a man who's crushed, shot, stabbed, and detonated, five members of his own IMF team, how devastated do you think you're going to make him by hauling Mom and Uncle Donald to the county courthouse? Yeah, that the reputation that we see for Ethan yeah. is being to get formed in this movie. <laughs> okay, well, we've care- taken care of quotes, so it's time for our ratings. I'm sure it's a very emotional subject. <laughs> As always, it's from one being a terrible spy movie, 10 being the greatest spy movie you've ever seen. And how would you guys rate Mission Impossible 1? As our guest, you want to? As a straight-up spy movie, I mean, it has really good elements of semi-truth, semi-reality with the fantastic. As a straight-up spy movie, it's mediocre. Uh, but overall, it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> and that's probably just my colored lens from my uh, back in the days. Uh, so one was worse. And what was the high again? Ten. 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 I'd give it a good solid seven. Right. Okay. Uh, I can go next. I would also give it a seven. I think it's a good movie, but not. I don't consider it to be like a great movie, especially considering the heights that this series has gone to before. The, mm-hmm. the plot was a little bit confusing and the stunts were good, but also could be better. So, you know, I think seven is reasonable. It doesn't quite reach eight. All right. Well, I'm sure anyone who's heard me talk about this movie can predict where I'm going with this. Cause this, like, like I said, I, and I, I know I'm biased, but I have to just lean into that bias. Cause this, you know, this was the first, first spy movie I saw. Mm-hmm. And, it's what got me into spy movies. So, like the fact, the all the sleight of hand, all the deception, all the double talk, is what. And even even though I've seen it probably at least a hundred times now, when I watch it, I sit down. I'm in, totally and in, in, captured by it, and I have to give it a nine. Well, I could see I, that. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, like a lot of the double play, the bouncing back. That was and I all mean, fantastic stuff. Also, like, if I, if you, other than, you know, your Star Wars and whatnot, this is like, this is, yeah, like, this is the first, like, adult move, like, you know, in terms of, it's not, you know, it's not for kids. It's not a kid's movie. It's not in any edges of Star Wars or Disney movie. So the fact that, all right, the hero doesn't get the girl at the end and the girl dies and he's betrayed by, you know, by his mentor, it, like, as an 11 year old, that was mind blowing. Well, I'm actually, still, yeah. I'm actually more surprised that you didn't rate it higher, given all that. <laughs> so what would be like? A, what would be like a ten out of ten movie for you? I don't know because I, I th- does this per- perfect spy movie exist? Maybe. Well, well, Is I it another consider... film in this series? Maybe. Hmm. But we'll see when we well, get there. Well, to me, Ghost Protocol is nine out of ten. So, would you? Right. How would you rate Ghost Protocol? Like I said, we'll see you when we get there. 
Okay. <laughs> I think the reason why I gave it a seven instead of an eight is because I remember watching it and feeling stupid. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and like oh, yeah. that oh, no. anger, that anger of me going, wait, I have to watch this again because I still don't get it. I am dumb. I feel dumb. <laughs> I will never be a spy. I am too dumb for this role in my life. I cannot do this. Like, as an 11-year-old, I was so confused. But that confusion led me to watch it, you know, multiple times. And then, you know, by the second time, I figured it out. And then, of course, every other time after that that I watched it, there's little bits more that you can't pick up. Oh, actually, I forgot one thing for Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction. Okay. The all the crap that Luther is talking about um, when he's asking for I need all this gear. So he says Cray access. So Cray computers are supercomputers, and Stu threes is another thing he mentioned. Now I went to the NSA museum, which uh, or the National Cryptologic Museum, which is part of the NSA. So Stu threes are secure telephone units. And okay. the Stu 3 was a family of secure telephones introduced in 1987 by the NSA for the U.S. government. So, yeah, they were still in use for for a long time. I mean, they basically they eventually got replaced with uh, the secure Ethernet lines. But uh, yeah, they were apparently they, the last one was used on December 31st, 2009, according to the NSA museum. That's specific. Yeah. yeah. It's very specific. I was probably just them changing them over at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, so last bit of bonus spy fact versus spy fiction there. Great. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get going? No, I don't think so. I think well, I'm good. Actually, I just want to you know thank everyone for bearing with me as I completely fanboyed out for this entire episode. And yeah. <laughs> Jay, any, anything else you want to plug? Uh sure i guess uh uh feel free to join uh, us on uh zach and i on our other podcast and also on twitch at twitch.tv slash mc slanty where we record the podcast as well as play video games uh you can reach find me on feedjournerd.com uh, as a webcomic artist as and uh yeah and thank you for allowing me to partake and uh join in on this fun adventure yeah, oh, it's been a welcome. pleasure having you, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spotify Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 